Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is the first part of our first reading, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. And I'll read to you again these words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is the word of our God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. We all like to receive good news, right? I think you'd agree with that. We all like to receive good news. You're going to get a tax refund this year. You got an A on your algebra test. The weather is going to warm up next week. Those are all examples of good news. Not exactly life-changing good news, but good news. How about these? The enemy has surrendered. The war is over. The treatment's worked. Your tumor is gone. Congratulations, you have a beautiful, healthy baby girl. Those are all examples of life-changing good news. Nothing will ever be the same after hearing that good news. In fact, you'll never be the same after hearing that good news. The portion of God's word before us this morning is really all about good news, earth-shattering good news, the kind of good news that just changes everything. Under the Spirit's inspiration, the prophet Isaiah recorded words that really didn't come from his mouth. He recorded the words of the Messiah. And then, seven centuries later, in his hometown synagogue, in a little backwater burg called Nazareth, Jesus spoke those words, he read the words of Isaiah, and then he said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. My friends, Jesus Christ is Mashiach. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the promised Savior of the world. That simple fact is good news, and it's good news that changes everything for us. Let's spend a few moments this morning pondering that good news. It'll help us if we at first have a little bit of background about Isaiah and the times in which he lived. As I mentioned before, Isaiah lived and worked about seven centuries before Christ, and these were not good times for God's people. By and large, they didn't care much about the Lord or what he thought. They had forgotten about his covenant. Uh, they were not following his laws. They were being absolutely awful to each other. And for this reason, God told them through Isaiah and through other prophets that he was going to punish them, that he was going to send the Babylonians who would conquer them and carry them off into captivity. But our God is such a God of grace that he also promised them that one day a remnant, a small number of them, would be brought back. They would be rescued from that captivity. That's basically the first half of the book of the prophet Isaiah. In the second half, Isaiah turns his attention to a different and a greater rescue operation. In the second half of his book, he really concentrates on the servant of the Lord who was going to come and who was going to deliver all people from sin and death. Obviously, we're talking there about the promised Messiah. Now, why was such a rescue operation necessary? 
I want you to hear again some of the words that Messiah speaks through Isaiah's pen to us today. Words that tell us why that operation was necessary. Words that really describe the natural spiritual condition of all people. He calls them poor and brokenhearted. He says that they are captives and prisoners. He says that their lives are characterized by grief and mourning. And that because of this, they live in ashes and despair. Now, as I said, these words describe all people as they are by nature, which means, my friends, they describe you and me as we are by nature. And so we better understand that we better get a handle on exactly what Messiah is trying to tell us today. First, he describes us as naturally poor. He's not talking about our financial situation. He's talking about our natural spiritual poverty. Spiritually speaking, we sinners do not have two pennies to rub together. We are tremendously deep in debt, up to our necks in debt. We are bankrupt. And there's nothing we can do to pay off that debt, nothing we can do to make ourselves right with our God. Next, Isaiah describes us as brokenhearted. If you've ever had your heart broken by a lost love, or maybe by someone who was a dear friend but then betrayed you, you know that, that that's one of the worst feelings that you can possibly have. Sin does that to us. Sin shatters our hearts into a million pieces because it ruins our relationships and robs us of hope and takes away our joy and destroys our relationship with our God. And again, there's nothing we can do to pick up those pieces, nothing we can do by our power to fix that problem. And I'm sorry to say that the next words from Messiah's mouth are not any more encouraging. He calls us sinners captives and prisoners. Sin takes away our freedom. Sin enslaves us. Do you realize that we don't have any power or strength or ability or even desire on our own to live the kind of lives that our God would want us to live? Lives of love toward both Him and our neighbor. No, all that we have the ability and desire to do naturally is to listen to the devil and to listen to our own sinful nature and to serve ourselves. And again, this is a prison and there's no way that we could ever hope to escape from that darkness. And so what's left for us? Mourning, grief, ashes, despair. In ancient times when people were in mourning, they would sometimes do so in sackcloth and ashes. You've probably heard that phrase before. They would actually put on a, a piece of clothing made out of really prickly goat's hair. And then they would take gritty, dry ashes and dump them on their head and let it go all down on their body. You can imagine it wasn't very comfortable. And that was the idea, to be as uncomfortable as, as possible. That's what sin does to us. It makes us uncomfortable. It causes us to mourn over the life that we have lost, a life of peace and joy and friendship with our God. And finally, it brings despair. Despair because of what we deserve for our sins and eternity of suffering apart from our God and from His blessings. My friends, I want to thank you for sticking with me so far. I know that none of that was particularly easy to hear. But that is exactly what life would be like for us if not for the Messiah. That is what life would be like for us, my friends, except for something we know, something we possess, something wonderful, something called 
the gospel. We have good news. And the good news is that our God in grace and mercy has intervened for us. The good news is that God has come in to rescue us. The good news is that God has picked up all the broken pieces and done all the repair work. The good news is that God sent the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior, in fulfillment of scriptures. And I want you to listen again now to the Messiah's words as he tells us what his mission is, why he came into the world, what it is that he did for us. Again, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, what's good news when you're poor? Well, that you're not poor anymore. In fact, that you are rich. Jesus has made sure that we never have to fear again the spiritual debtor's prison of hell. We never have to worry about our debt anymore because he himself has come, and with his priceless blood, the blood of both God and man, he has paid off that tremendous debt. Jesus actually gave up his own wealth, his own glory, in order to come down to earth and live humbly and buy us out of our poverty. Paul sums it up for us so beautifully in the New Testament in his letter, second letter to the Corinthians. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so now, because of the Messiah, our accounts burst with spiritual assets, forgiveness, and new life, and the salvation of our souls. He's got more good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Talked a little bit ago about having a broken heart. You know, there is no better cure for a broken heart than finding love again. Well, sin broke our hearts, sin ruined our lives, sin left us empty. But our Lord Jesus came in and he picked up the pieces of our broken hearts. He gave us a new love. He is himself our greatest love. He is the bridegroom and we are his bride. And oh, how he loves us. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He gave himself up for us. He laid down his life for us. He cleansed us and betrothed us to himself in the waters of holy baptism. And so now, my friends, through faith in him, we are holy and perfect in his eyes. We are his blameless, radiant bride. And our bridegroom still has more good news for us. He says he came to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. In a sense, Jesus is our walking, talking, living, breathing, flesh and blood, God and man, get out of jail free card. Free for us, by the way but not at all free for him. No, he paid a heavy price. Again, he gave up his life. He endured the punishment that we deserve because he himself took on our guilt, the responsibility for our sins. God punished him in our place for all of that. God damned him for our sins. And the result for us, freedom. 
No more dark dungeon of death for us. The prison doors have been flung wide open. The chains have fallen off. The shackles are gone. We are truly free in Christ. We are captives no more. And the good news just keeps coming. Jesus came to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. There's so much that grieves us in life. Relationships on the rocks, the damage and the pain caused by our own sinful selfishness and that of those around us, the regret of our past sins, the guilt that threatens to crush our spirits, the daily pain of life in a world that is so filled with disease and despair and death, a world that sanctions and celebrates even the murder of babies. There is just more than enough hurt and sadness in this world to go around. And we could easily just give up. We could easily just stay in bed and pull the covers over. We could sit there in our sackcloth and our ashes, but our Savior, the Messiah, will have none of it. He pulls off that sackcloth. He dusts away the ashes. He replaces it all with a garment of praise. He clothes us in the robes of his own righteousness placed on us in holy baptism. He says to us that the victory has been won over all these terrible things. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the living one. I was dead, but behold, I am alive forever and ever. He has defeated sin and he has defanged death forever so that all who believe in him have the sure hope of life. Life the way our God always meant it to be. Life that lasts forever and ever. And my friends, as if all of this good news wasn't enough, listen to how Messiah describes you and me, his people. He says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What a change. In Christ, we have gone from being dead, desiccated branches, destined only for the fire, to being solid oaks with deep roots, green and full of life and producing abundant fruit. The Lord himself has planted us in faith, and he's done so with one purpose, so that we may display his splendor. Just what does that mean, to display the Lord's splendor? You know, in our prayer of the day today, we offered this petition, which I think kind of explains what it means to display the Lord's splendor. Anoint us with the power of your Spirit, that we too may bring good news to the afflicted, bind up the brokenhearted, and proclaim liberty to the captive. My friends, we are not a purposeless people. Our joyous job, our mission in life, really our reason for existence is to display the Lord's splendor. And what exactly does that mean? Well, my friends, we do that by sharing the good news, by telling everyone the wonders that our God has done, by pointing to the cross and to the empty tomb of our Savior and to the magnificent saving love that we find there. And finally, also by living the kind of lives, lives of compassion, lives of care for others, lives of love that bring glory to the one whose name we bear, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, my friends, there are millions of people every day struggling through life, and they're asking questions like this. Why am I here? 
what is this all about? Is life really just about going to a job and paying bills and doing it all over again the next week? What is the purpose of all this? What is my purpose in life? You have an answer to that question. You have a beautiful purpose in life. You have a daily mission that is both for the good of your neighbor and the glory of your God. I can't sum it up better than Messiah did himself. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Yes, my friends, by word and by deed, draw attention to the Savior, the Savior of all people, and your Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Congratulations. You just won $5,000 a week from Publishers Clearinghouse. Life-changing good news? Maybe. But my friends, oh my goodness, $5,000 a week for life is nothing. It is nothing compared to the riches that are yours in Christ. He is your Savior from sin. And that changes everything. That changes everything now and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen.